Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2057. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Tucson, Arizona. I've got some family living there with a very special guest by the name of Courtney Carr. Courtney, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am. All right. So before we talk about what you're doing and the fact that your last name applies very nicely, even though it's C-A-R-R, to your, <laughs> your profession here, what's one little thing that maybe people don't know about you, Courtney? Um, well, before I hopped into this profession, I did serve in the Navy for 12 years. Well, thank you for your service. I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. What did you do in the Navy? Um, I was a, a Navy corpsman, so a combat medic. A combat medic. Wow. Okay. Now, this is interesting because as you got out of the Navy, and you were in the Navy like eight years, something like that, right? Um, eight years active, four years reserved to do 12 total. Wow. Okay. Well, again, uh, my hat's off to you. Uh, love people in the service. You guys are awesome uh, out there uh, taking care of us in the world. What was your favorite thing about being in the Navy? I think it's the camaraderie. You know, you have built-in friends. Um, you're forced to be around them 24-7, so you're never alone. And what areas of the world did you serve in? Um, I was stationed in California um, on a Marine base and then in Norfolk, Virginia on a carrier, the USS Truman. Um, and then I did two deployments to the Middle East from Norfolk. Wow. Amazing. Now, in San Diego, you said the Marines, were you at Camp Pendleton? No, I was actually in 29 Palms. 29 Palms. Okay. Very cool. My father-in-law was a 33-year Marine, and his okay. last uh, last uh, tour there was at Camp Pendleton, and that's where I met my wife because uh, I grew up in San Diego. And being on a carrier, you know, I've been on some carriers. I have a friend who's a, a retired rear admiral, and he took us all out on a carrier. And when I was a little boy, one of our family friends was a rear admiral and took us out on the USS Ticonderoga. And oh, wow. yeah, we got to go out and watch the planes take off and watch a movie. I was a little boy, but uh, carriers are incredible. They're like moving cities. They really are. There's um, at any given time between four to 6,000 people. My gosh. That's almost unfathomable when you think about it uh, and all the infrastructure and the things needed. I mean, from doctor care, uh, what you're doing, were you taking care of people there that needed care if they were ill or sick or whatever? Yes. That's my primary job. Yeah. Very cool. Well, let me give you a proper introduction because you're doing something very different today. Courtney Carr is the director at the Tucson Auto Museum, where a visit takes you back to when every car on the road didn't look the same and American cars were the undisputed kings of the road. Their 20,000 square foot facility is a living museum where all the vehicles are roadworthy. They're taken out and driven. Their mission is to showcase the very old and iconic from the Model T through the mid-century classics, the 50s and 60s, and into the future with their DeLorean, plus some unique European models as well. As she said, Courtney served in the U.S. Navy, and her career includes care as an addictive treatment counselor, and she worked at the Children's Museum in Tucson. We'll be back in just a moment to learn more about the Tucson Auto Museum, but first a word from our sponsors, so give them a little listen, and we'll be right back. I love Covercraft's new five-layer all-climate cover. It was developed and engineered for 
anything Mother Nature can throw our way. It's very soft, breathable, and easy to store and pampers your paint and interior surfaces, providing maximum UV, rain, dust, and snow protection. Add their gust guards for windy conditions for extra protection. Their five-layer all-climate cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's attention to detail, form and fit with a quality and attention that's been their standard since 1965. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. Every one of my vehicles is protected by a Covercraft cover. And I have a deal for you. Use the code YA21 at Covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order plus free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping. Just type in the word yeah, Y-E-A-H, Two one at checkout. Yeah, twenty one at covercraft.com. Covercraft protecting the things that move you. Most people don't think about their collector car insurance until their annual premium becomes due. Well, why wait and see if there are better options for your beloved rides? I didn't. Did you know if you change carriers before your policy runs out, your insurance company has to refund you the unearned portion of your policy premium? I did my homework, I shopped around, and I found American Collectors Insurance. And that's who protects my Porsche Turbo. That's right, the one I call my Orange Crush. They've been protecting collector vehicles since 1976. I encourage you to call my friends at American Collectors Insurance. Ask them about their agreed value policy. And if your collector vehicle is on your regular auto policy, you will be shocked at the savings, not to mention the assurance, should something bad happen to your ride, that you'll get what your vehicle is actually worth. Give them a call today for a quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Give them a call today. So, Courtney, we're back. So this is a pretty amazing transition I see. You went from being in the Navy, caring for people, medic, and now you're working at an auto museum. So tell us, what brought you to the museum? What do you love about working at the museum? And then we'll talk a little bit about what the museum has to offer for all of us automotive enthusiasts. But let's go back in time a little bit to a a pretty major transition you made in your career. Uh, Yeah, so after I got out of the Navy off active duty, I you know, obviously went back to school. I was much more dedicated this time around prior to joining the military, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. And I always had a passion for history. And I really knew that, you know, that's where my heart was. And that's the kind of work I wanted to do. I've always joked that I want to make history fun for people. People get bored when you're just rambling off things about, you know, historical facts. Um, So I got my bachelor's in history. And then from there, I got my master's in North American and public history um, and a public history master's centers around museum work, running a museum, doing that curating um, that director position. You're right. History's that way. I never really had much interest in it. Like Suzanne High School or junior high, it was just a course you had to take. But I had a history professor in college that was a U.S. history professor 
he made it fascinating. He just did some crazy wild things and you really started to get into it. And of course, now, you know, once you become an adult, we realize how important history is, especially yeah. especially when you ignore it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it comes back to haunt you uh, in a pretty bad way. So let's talk about the Tucson Auto Museum. Now, I originally was introduced to the museum's owner and collector, Wayne Gould. And then he said, you know, you really should talk to Courtney because she's on the ground. She's taking care of things here. So have you been a car person throughout your life? Have you had some interest in cars? Yeah, you know, um, growing up, my family, we've always had, um, my dad had a, an old uh, 46 Ford when I was, you know, a child. Um, we actually have a 46 Plymouth Special Deluxe. So I grew up, you know, knowing about, you know, these cars and how important they are to keep alive and, you know, keep roadworthy and keep, you know, not just stored in a barn under some blankets. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so that's something I was always passionate about. And again, back to my degree, you know, one of the things I was really focusing on in my undergrad was the industrial revolution and how we brought power to the States and how we had advanced cars and planes in such a short time. And that was just something that has always fascinated me. To then find this position kind of just felt very right for me. Yeah. Well, you think about the importance of the automobile. I really think until maybe we get into the internet and what is happening with computers, that the automobile was one of the most radical things that ever changed history. Yeah. Because it opened up the country to what what I have identified many as a vehicle identify as freedom, a way to get in and go. And you think about being a teenager, that first time you get to drive away from your home by yourself <laughs> yeah. and, and your parents are like freaking out at the doorway, as I did when my kids drove away the first time, uh, is you're like, <laughs> woohoo, I can do anything and I can go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's really an amazing thing. And the other thing that I've had some museum, many museum museum directors on the show, and uh, there's a great museum just 10 minutes from my house here called the LeMay Museum, is that the automobile and transportation opened up commerce in a way that the world had never seen. And somebody mentioned to me once, you know, you take for granted the food that you eat every day, but the fact that transportation enabled us to get food from virtually anywhere in the world. I can have fish from the Atlantic tonight. I could be eating blueberries that came from South America this morning. Uh, It's pretty phenomenal. So when you look at the Tucson uh, Automobile Museum, many museums have a look or a feel about them. Talk a little bit about the wide variety of cars, because when you go to the website, there's a lot of American cars, but there's also a lot of European cars, but there's a lot of different things there. Very eclectic tastes. Yeah. We like to say that we specialize in kind of that that unique, that odd, those not everyday run-of-the-mill vehicles. The owner really does like finding those rare gems, things that are not, you know, seen every day. You know, we can say, oh, yes, a Chevy Bel Air. Everyone knows what that is. We can say a Hudson Hornet. Everyone knows what those are. But when you see our museum, we have things that, you know, when we have visitors come and I talk to them, they're like, I have never heard of this car. You know, what is this? That's the reaction we're looking for. Right. Uh, like a 1948 Davis divan. <laughs> yes. And we actually have two of those. Two um, of them. Actually, oh my yes, gosh. They, yeah. They are um, new to us uh, within the last month, actually. And there is only 12 in the world remaining. Oh my gosh. Well, it looks like the oldest car you have is a 1913 Model T. Is that right? 
Correct. Yeah, pretty incredible. And when you take little kids and you show them a car like that, my neighbor across the street had one and he would take it out for a drive. And when my son was young one time, he pulled up in the driveway and said, hey, Blake, want to go for a ride? And, you know, it's 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 something that young kids now look at these things and they think people actually drove around in this kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What are some of the more unique vehicles that you have? I mentioned the Davis, which is one of those cars that I'm not I don't think I've ever seen one, and I've been to a lot of places, a lot of car places, but never seen one of those. But what are some of the other really wild rides you have? Uh, well, we have the 1952 Munz Jet. Um, I don't know if you saw it when you were looking at our website. It's the bright purple yes. one, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and that is a standard color that it came in. Oh, really? Yeah, and it actually got uh, the nickname of Mad Man. Um <laughs> and it's just it's just a fun colored car. Yeah. I also really enjoy our 1967 Amphicar. You know, it's, oh, it's yeah. a car, but it's also a boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are cool. We have a 1954 Kaiser Darren, which is really fun because it actually has pocket doors. Yes, those are neat. Yeah, so you know, you you think about oh, pocket doors—that's something that you use in in a home to close off that spare room that nobody likes to look at. <laughs> right, and, right, yeah. And there it is on a car. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time walking up to one of those at a show with my son, and he went, "Where are the doors?" I go, well, they're in the, they're in the <laughs> fender. And he's like, well, how do they get in the fender? And I asked the owner if he'd show us. And he was like, whoa, that's cool. Yeah. And then we also just got in a new car. It's a 1963 Tatra, which is actually a Czechoslovakian. It's got a really nice, sleek body, something I had never even heard of. Yeah, the, those are amazing. There were a whole bunch of those on display a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, uh, Pebble Beach. And, oh, yes. And I'd never seen, never seen one, much less, I forget how many they had, but several of them. Now, that vehicle, if I'm right, is the motor in the back? It is, yes. Yeah, so they're kind of air cool. Think of it like a really odd-looking Volkswagen, like a giant VW Beetle. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. And I noticed you also have a Daimler, which is something pretty unique, a 64, I believe. Yes, we do have a Daimler. And um, that is right at the beginning when you walk onto our museum floor because people love to see that. Yeah, it's such a unique-looking car. Kind of looks like a big bug, but then it's got those kind of fenders in the back that remind you of the 50s fins, but this is a mid-60s car. So when you look at that car, I always go, what was the designer thinking? <laughs> yeah, it's got a very bug face front. Yes. Um, but then again, like you said, that nice classic 50s fin rear. <laughs> yeah, very different. Now you also have a uh, Batmobile replica, right? We do. So we have um, the original 66 from the the show. And then as well as we have the one from um, the Michael Keaton movies. Okay. Okay. Well, very cool. Well, that's that's pretty sweet. And as I go through the other one, is, I love the Go-Go Mobile. I just like the name. You know, oh, right. The 66 Go-Go Mobile. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that one because that is, you look at that and you go, what? Yeah, right. It's very fun. It's very tiny. Again, the owner, Wayne, he actually really does enjoy these tinier cars, mm -hmm. even, you know, in the Gogo Mobile, it's from Germany. And it's just fun. It's tiny. It's got that fun purple sunshade on the front. Yes, yeah, uh -huh. that just kind of adds a little pizzazz to it. Um it's a beautiful car. And then uh, you're talking about some of the little cars, the 71 Dinalfine. Am I saying that right? Dinalfine? The A110. I mean, it looks like a, yeah. little, a little sports car. It's really cool looking little car. Yeah, it is very cool. It is um, a fun little car. We've had that for quite some time. And it was one of those, it's a post-war French car. And then, of course, uh, a little 
funky looking thing, a 69 Subaru 360 Deluxe. I, I laugh when they call it a Deluxe. Because <laughs> it's so tiny. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like um, a, a bug that's been kind of mushed, uh, like a VW bug mushed in from the sides, so the top went up. <laughs> Am I yeah, describing actually, that right? <laughs> yeah, and it's actually nicknamed the ladybug. Oh, well, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, it was kind of the competitor for those tiny um, Japanese cars that were coming out at the same time. Sure. And, you know, again, it was just the, the engine and the capacity – it was good, but again, it's very tiny, which brings in the question of safety. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, let's talk safety here. How about the 75 Acoma Mini Comptess? Uh, you don't oh, want to get yeah. hit in that thing. Uh, yeah. So that actually has a 49cc engine in it, which <laughs> is just a, you know, a, a souped up go-kart. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. That is also a French vehicle. And, you know, it was their, uh, their problem solver to getting to work and not taking up a lot of parking space. Right. Yeah. Not burning a lot of fuel. And then another really funky one is the three-wheeled HM vehicles. Freeway, I think they call that. And it's a 1980, which I kind of go, 1980? Yeah, right. It is a little, it's one of our older ones. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, you know, that has a 16 horsepower single cylinder engine, um, but it's also backed by a snowmobile style CVT transmission. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, sense. it's a little bit safer than the Yokoma Mini, I guess. Yeah, right, maybe. Um, <laughs> good sales, sales job. But you also yeah. have a lot of, of cool, sleek, the cars I like to get into, a Di Tommaso Pantera, a Ferrari Dino, uh, beautiful Citrons. And then we get into the American Muscle Car, which you've got a nice selection of those as well, right? Yeah, we do have two Mustangs. Those are a big draw when when people come in. They like to see those American Muscle Mustangs, and it brings back the nostalgia, especially the '66 convertible. Um, you know, people will go, "Oh my gosh, look at it!" And of course, both of our Mustangs are yellow. So okay, yeah. Well, it's perfect for the desert, especially right now, springtime. All the flowers are blooming out there in the desert. You know, a car you have that's really kind of wild is the '67 uh, Oldsmobile Tornado, but it's the Mannix version and i i saw that and i went what is that yeah so it is the one from the show and it's just it's a big car with only two seats you come in and you look at it and you're like wow this should seat a family of six and it's really not Um, it's just got a big body you know frame and it's a little intimidating actually when you look at it (laughs) well the tornadoes are and i remember when they came out i was a little kid my mom really wanted one and my dad kind of i think he looked at her and said this is not really a practical family car uh but they had (laughs) they had a big motor in them and i know jay leno has a beautiful tornado they're just one of those cars that were was a little bit odd when it came out because this big monster coupe type thing yeah yeah a lot of different things now aside from all the and we just touched on a few of these cars listeners there are a lot of different kinds of things i wanted to touch on some of the unique cars so if you find your way out in the desert in tucson and i'll tell you now is a beautiful time to be in the desert uh before things get too warm uh (laughs) to uh to visit the museum and there's some beautiful places to stay there in tucson of course there's mount lemon which you could go up and uh go up into the the cooler mountains and enjoy the beautiful scenery and nature the saguaro national monument there's all sorts of cool things to see in tucson uh so a great place to visit you know also um some neat european sabra sport roadster is another one of those cars you'll never see anywhere no yeah and again that's a another one that we have right at the beginning um, because people do love to see it and it is very eye-catching you know it is from israel 
Oh, is that where um, those scars are from? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's from, I can't pronounce it, Haifa, Israel. Okay. Oh, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of their, their ode to the muscle car. Wow. It's a, it's interesting because those big chrome projections in the front almost seem like they should be fins or bumpers on the back, uh, you know, of a car. It's just, a, it's a car you'll never, you'll never see anywhere. I don't think I've never seen one. Yeah. And did you know that Sabra actually means prickly cactus? Well, I didn't. So you taught me something today. <laughs> well, perfect for the desert. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Well, very cool. Now, in addition to all the wonderful cars, you also have a vent capabilities there so if someone wants to have some type of a gathering or event you have that option as well yeah we do we've held um help um in the past different um functions events we've had different car clubs who want to hold um their meetings here so we have that availability um, a couple of years ago we did have less cars so we had a, a bit more space to kind of hold those functions but we still um can make do and make room um for those meetings and we do have a big parking lot that um, we've done car club meets in the past and set up tents and had vendors out there as well. Okay, cool. And then you also have a way for people to stay in touch with the newsletter, right? We do. We have a monthly newsletter. Um, We get our emails from, you know, the visitors. We have a a book at the end. We ask them to put their email in or even on the website, you can go on to our website and input your email um, and then you'll get added to our newsletter, which really just highlights kind of like the new cars that we've been getting in. And, you know, if there's a month where we didn't get a new car, then we'll just I'll pick a a car to kind of highlight as a car of the month. Absolutely. You listeners can find them. If you just Google the Tucson Auto Museum, you will find them or their website is Wayne's Toys. Uh, we mentioned Wayne Gould at the beginning, .com, waynestoys.com, and you can find their website. You can sign up for the newsletter and uh, find out what their hours are and all of that kind of thing. We're going to take a short break and thank our sponsors when we come back. A few more questions. We'll get into your life, Courtney. So sit tight, keep the seatbelts on. We'll be right back. You listeners know that I'm a huge car care fanatic, and my friends at AutoGeek created their Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant for perfectionists like you and me. Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant is designed to provide long-lasting protection and a glossy, slick finish that, well, it's unmatched. The use of polymer technology ensures your paint is protected from environmental contaminants, those damaging UV rays, and lasts up to three months long. By providing the glossy look of Carnuba Wax with the longevity of a synthetic formula, Wolfgang a Deep Gloss Paint Sealant is the best of both worlds. Go to autogeek.net to get yours for the best product selection on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. Autogeek.net is where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe, and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared 
for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. So, Courtney, I like to ask my guests about someone who was a driving inspiration in your life, an influential person, a mentor, perhaps. Is there somebody like that for you? Um, You know, I had several great mentors in the Navy. Thankfully, um, I did have this one mentor. He was actually an officer for the DC department, which is damage control. They're kind of like the firemen of the ship. And he was an officer. So that meant, you know, meant that they already had those college degrees that I just was not interested in at the time. Sure, yeah. And he was really a driving force of, you know, when you get out of the Navy, you need to pursue your passion. Don't go to school because you think you're going to make a lot of money, you know, becoming a doctor <laughs> or things of that nature. And, you know, he really pushed me to just follow my dreams and follow my passions. And I'm very thankful to have had a mentor like that versus a mentor who was like, well, you should just do something that gets you those bucks. Makes a good living. Yeah. You know, so one of the great things about the military is the personal leadership skills they teach officers. And as people move up through the ranks to, uh, and obviously military, you're all about helping your comrades and supporting each other and so forth. But uh, there's some, been some wonderful, wonderful teachers and people that have come out of the military. And my son was just this morning, we were just talking about, um, if you're familiar with Jocko, who has a podcast and has written books. Uh, yeah, interesting guy. He's a motivational type and how he's created a life around supporting and helping people overcome obstacles in their lives and be more powerful. And uh, he's written some really, really great books. Let's talk about a big challenge because uh, everyone who's been through anything and you've been through some deployments and all sorts of interesting aspects of your life and also dealing with helping people who are injured and need care, a uh, challenge that probably set you back a little bit or maybe something you even failed at. But the the real story here is more about what did it teach you so that you can move forward. So take us on one of those journeys. Well, you know, again, I'll just kind of revert back to when I was getting out of the Navy. I got out. I came home from Virginia. I I moved back to Arizona and I had no plan. (laughs) I did not really have a a game plan of going to school. I didn't have a game plan of a job. And, you know, I went through a couple months where I was like, well, I'm still technically on my leave from the military. I'm okay to just kind of do whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there was like one day of like waking up and panicking and being like, oh, my gosh, I need to get it together. I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Yeah. Yeah, like I have bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Thankfully, I was able to get a job rather quickly because of the job I had in the military. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, you know, I would be doing some good work, but I knew that in the long run, I wanted to be in a museum. But that was just kind of a motivator to work. I worked full time through both of my degrees and, you know, made sure that that stress kind of motivated me even more to get to where I wanted to be. Amazing how that uh, that point in life where you got to grow up and figure out something to do to pay the bills, as you said, is a great, <laughs> a great motivator. You know, one of the things yeah. you did for a while was you worked as a, a counselor, right? I did. Yeah, I was an addictions treatment counselor in um, a men's prison, actually. Oh, my gosh. Well, I like to ask people about how they have chosen to give back. Now, you gave back by serving your country in the, the Navy, and you were a medic where you're serving people and helping them recover from injury. Helping men in prison who have drug addiction, which so many people end up in prison with drug addiction, it's such a terrible thing that's occurring. How did that, I mean, that must have been pretty amazing for you, I, w- I would think, or maybe sobering. I don't know. Um, I would say that it was very rewarding. You know, being a medic, I can give you some Tylenol for your headache, and I know that that will help it. Whereas, you know, being an addictions counselor, there's there's a process, and it's really diving deep into people's past. 
tests and kind of bringing out those those dark demons and then really working through it and, you know, letting them know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that prison isn't the end of the road for them. You know, every one that I work with is someone who had what I like to call an end date, a release date. <laughs> Better than the other and, end date. Yeah. And so, you know, they were eventually going to be out in society again. And I wanted to make sure that they knew that this was not the only option for their life. What were some of the ways that you helped people understand that they had to move forward and get out of this cycle of drug addiction? Because I I go back to this. If you look at the challenges with so many major cities in our country, and they call it homeless, but I I really truly believe in people I've spoken to, it's a drug problem. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, um, as many like to say, well, this system has failed people. And, you know, again, working in prison, I can kind of, you know, agree with that. You're putting people in prison who really need to be in treatment facilities, um, but you're putting them in prison because they had, you know, X amount of drugs on them. Well, yeah, that's going to solve the, okay, they're off the streets, maybe they're not selling now, but they had an issue using it. You know, what demons were they conquered, you know, battling because of their use? Yeah, what caused that that led to their, their criminal behavior to support that drug addiction and so forth? I think it's really a problem in this country that we don't treat that differently. Yeah. And, you know, so my whole approach to it was, you know, really, I would go back to the basics of communication because, you know, some of these guys were never, you know, taught how to communicate effectively. They were taught Terrible through violence and gangs. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I would go back to the basics of communication. I would go back to, you know, how, what is, what does a healthy relationship look like? Mm. You know, and kind of start over from there. <laughs> right. Well, it's I, I, very commendable what you did. I mean, that's really what people in that situation need is to realize there's a different life for them. And it can be so much better. But some of them just well dealt a very bad hand when they were born into terrible situations and never were taught a way out of it. Those of us who were born into loving families who cared for us, uh, it's hard to believe that even exists, but certainly it does. So uh, my hat's off to you for giving back in the ways that you have. Let's talk a little about your special vehicle story. I like to ask people to share a story about one special vehicle in their life. What's that ride like of yours? Well, like I had mentioned earlier, we do have a 46 Plymouth Special Deluxe. It was actually my father's. Um, He got it because he used to own a boat business many, many, many moons ago prior to my birth. (laughs) Um, And a gentleman owned him a lot of money. And he said, here, take my car. Take my, yeah. Well, there you go. (laughs) Um, So again, I've just always known about this car from day one. And I would always go out and I would clean it and I would look at it. And I would tell my dad someday that is going to be mine. And it now is. (laughs) Now, that's a pretty big, I mean, you think about cleaning the car when you're a little kid. That's a big, pretty big car. I mean, there's a lot of metal on that thing. Yeah, a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And and that era of car was so interesting, of course, post-war car when they started building cars again, because during the war, of course, uh, they didn't weren't even building cars. They were building, you know, the war machine to, to, yeah. to save the world. But uh, that car is cool because it's kind of, I always look at those late 40s cars as leftover early 40s cars. They hadn't really started recreating the design aspects yet for Detroit and all of that type of thing. So they're, they were kind of retro at the time almost. Yeah. You know, they still have those nice, um, you know, curvatures that you see in those older models. There's no fins yet that, you know, hadn't come into play and, it almost looks because it is two doors, but from the front, if you look at it, you're kind of like, oh, does this have the suicide doors on? And then you come around and you're like, oh, it's just two doors, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, forget about the suicide doors. Well, 
you know, you have sat in rooms and helped people and kind of crawled into their head. I'm going to crawl into your head today, Courtney. I'm going to be your car psychologist. If you were, <laughs> okay, so sit back on the couch, grab a box of tissues. Hopefully I won't make you cry today. And uh, <laughs> if you were reincarnated or manifested as a vehicle, now this isn't what you want to be. This is how you perceive the lady in the mirror yourself, deep down in your soul. What kind of vehicle would Courtney car be? And more importantly, why? Um, well, I will tell you that we do have a car here in the museum that, again, I have always loved since it, I was a it kid. It speaks and, to you, huh? Yeah. And then when I found out we had one here, I um, I told Wayne, I said, oh, my goodness, that is my dream car. That is yeah. it. I literally said that is me in a car. Okay. All right. Now, now you've got <laughs> um, my curiosity up. And I told him, I was like, if you, you better never get rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it is the 54 Ford Skyliner, the oh. Crestline. Okay. So why why that car? is you well the color it's a fun salmon pink and i always like to tell people you know that is my favorite color okay and then it does have the glass top um you know before the the crown victoria skyliner you know went into production yeah Um, so it does have the acrylic panel over the front seating area and i just always grew up love looking up at the stars and just having that outside view of the world yeah. and to have the the best of both worlds worlds in a classic car that I love and my favorite color with an ability to just look out at the sky from the from the top is everything I would want in a car. That car is like the early version of a sunroof, but it was actually a clear... It's acrylic. It's acrylic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and the I love the way the back window swoops down and that rear window kind of wraps around to the side, if my memory serves me right, how that yep. car, car looked. Yeah, I've seen those cars. And in that salmon color, it must be stunning. Oh, it's it's so beautiful. And every time I'm out on the floor, I always have to do a pass by of that car. And I'm just like, oh, that's my home. <laughs> well, you'll have to work out a deal with your boss there, Wayne, and maybe uh, park it in your garage someday <laughs> yeah. if you never give it up. But uh, yeah, pretty cool car. You think about the 50s and some of the things that were coming in the later 50s that were forerunners to the just the wildness of Detroit and what they were doing for American vehicles post-war and people wanted crazy things and pre-fins. And yeah, that's a pretty cool car. I like it. Very nice. Was there a great book you'd like to share with us today that you've enjoyed reading? Oh my goodness. Any book? (laughs) Any book. Could be a car book, could be a self-help book, could be uh, fiction, nonfiction. Well, funny enough, I've been reading the Walt Disney life story. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, yeah. During a time that things are a little in turmoil with Disneyland and what's going on with them politically. So fascinating story with what Walt Disney did. And I think it's an important thing for people to read because most people think of Disneyland as, oh, this famous thing and it's always been popular, but he had to work his tail off to make that whole thing happen. Yeah, you know, and yeah, I know they're under fire a little bit, but at the same time, I, I again, I grew up with that that love of Disney, um, you know, kind of placed on me by family members. And of course, yeah. So it's just always had a home to me and you know kind of the same thing right you're like oh well disney has always been here you know like what but what is the true background story so i, I picked up that book and i started reading it and i was ah look at all these things that he had to overcome so when i'm like complaining about things i have to overcome <laughs> i could be like well I, i'm not alone <laughs> Well, exactly. And you go back further than Disneyland to the cartoons that he did and how he tried to sell the concept of cartoons and everybody just laughed at him, said, get out of here. And people don't realize that when you think about people that were forerunners to things that had never happened, how hard it was. Yeah. You know, he almost was bankrupt, you know, several times. He had to beg people to give him money. And I'm like, ah. 
you know, it's not just been a million, a multi-million dollar industry forever. <laughs> oh, well, no. And it's so different now. I mean, since he passed a long time ago, but uh, it's radically changed. And Disneyland, the first park, which opened in the mid fifties, I believe I think it was 55. Yeah, uh, it was. That was just about an hour and 15 minutes from where I grew up down in San Diego. And I remember driving up there and we always played the game in the car. Who could be the first one to see the Matterhorn, uh, <laughs> you know, before we uh, pulled out into the park and got to go to Disneyland and all the fun rides and things. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of wonderful memories and things for that. But his, his his book is great and everybody should read it because it's really a testament to hard work and trying to be innovative and doing things that no one's ever done before. And you think ahead to days like today to people like Elon Musk or Stephen Jobs or any of the people that are disruptors yeah. in the world. And I always kind of wish he could bring Walt Disney back to life and show him what it's become. Now, some of it he may not agree with, of course, because it was a different time. But uh, just to see the empire is kind of like bringing back Henry Ford and look yeah. imagine bringing back Henry Ford and giving him a ride in a Ford GT. <laughs> you know, and it's funny that you mentioned that because I do think about that a lot about, you know, the people who started certain ventures and they're no longer here, you know, did they ever really see it going this far? Did they think that it would turn into what it is? Well, I don't think too many people, I mean, they had vision for sure, but yeah. who could have guessed technology is where it is today, even 25, 30 years ago. I mean, you yeah, just, exactly. You know, I mean, there's the Steve Jobs or the Elon Musk, as I mentioned, or people that have come up with things. But uh, yeah, just the evolution. And then, of course, the online and uh, streaming and all the things that you can see now with Disney. So yeah, pretty cool book. Thanks for mentioning that. So before I let you go, I'm going to take you on the ultimate drive, which means I'm going to buy you any car in the world. You can go mm. on a drive with anybody in the world, somebody living or deceased. If you want to go with Walt Disney, you could. <laughs> and you can be driving anywhere in the world. So what does the ultimate drive look like for Courtney? Um, I will tell you that the ultimate drive for me would be with my grandfather, my mother's father. He is such, he's kind of like me. He's lived many, many lives. Uh-huh. He's a veteran as well, an Air Force veteran. Um, he was a postal worker. He, you know, he's just had so many different shoes <laughs> on his feet in his yes. life. And I feel like no matter how much I talk to him and how much I ask of him, I will never know everything right the ultimate drive would definitely be with my grandpa peters and then he actually had a ford (laughs) crestline skyliner (laughs) oh really okay yeah so again it'd probably be in my favorite vehicle (laughs) and i I mean i'd probably be driving he is in his 90s he does still drive though oh really Um, yes so he's still in your life well that's wonderful yeah Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'll take the drive for this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you can sit back and tell you stories and so forth. I really think, you know, elderly people are such a a wonderful source. And I had this idea once of, you know, opening a coffee shop where you invite elderly people to come and sit. And the, the people who come in the store buy a cup of coffee and sit down and just talk with a, a person and ask them about their life. And, yeah. You know, you and, know I love that. There's, you know, anytime I go to a museum and they have, you know, the docents that are, you know, a little more on the elderly side, I will stop and I will chat with them for endless amounts of time. And, um, you know, like I said, even with just my, my grandfather, there's things 
that I obviously still don't know and questions that I still need to ask him. Um, and again, there's just a, a full life of stories that he has and uh, he's hilarious. So <laughs> I know I would just, you know, my stomach would be aching from laughing so much. Uh, well, you're, you're very blessed to have him in your life and still have him in your life. I never really knew my grandparents that well because they live so far away. They were in Texas. I was in San Diego and the few times I got mm. to visit them on their farm in Texas was like going to an alien planet almost for me coming from the beach in San Diego go to a, a farm in the northern part of Texas with cows and bulls and horses. And yeah, and there's so many things I wanted to ask my grandfather, but I just never had a lot of time to do it. So you're you're very, very fortunate, uh, as you know, cherish those times. Before I let yeah. you go, could you share a success quote or some words of inspiration for us? Um, you know, as I've always just been told, you know, you have to make sure that you go for what you want. And even when you hit those bumps in the road, don't let those deter you. You know, getting to this position where I am currently was not easy. And if I had given up, then I would, you know, I would have been content working at prison, but I knew what I really wanted to do. So I just yeah. made sure to not give up on those well, goals. You go, girl. Nice job. That's the <laughs> way to you. go through life. How can people learn more about the Tucson Auto Museum? Um, so like you had mentioned, we do have a website. Uh, we also are on Facebook if you search Tucson Auto Museum, as well as we do have an Instagram. Very cool. That is updated weekly. Um, and we post all of our fun cars on there. So if you if you don't want the website format, you can see them on the Instagram format. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned, you know, the desert is a wonderful place in the spring and the fall if you're not into yes. the massive heat. But if you like heat, you want to get away from where you are. If it's cold, Tucson's the place to go. And there's a lot more in Tucson than you might think. A lot of beautiful things to see. Uh, another one's the Sonora Desert Museum. Am I saying that right? Yes, uh, beautiful. Yeah, really fascinating. I, I haven't been there in a long time, but really beautiful place. Wonderful hiking trails there around the cacti, the giant saguaro cactus. So uh, check out Tucson, the Tucson Auto Museum. And I want to do a shout out. Thank you to my friend Cap Caputo. He's a past guest here. He's the one that introduced me to the Tucson Auto Museum via Wayne, the uh, owner there. So uh, thank you, Cap. Appreciate it. Courtney, thanks for being so generous today with your time and sharing your story. Wonderful thing you're doing there. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you at the Tucson Auto Museum. Thank you. All right. This has been fun. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe, that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship. And their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to carsyeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!